Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Show in association with Cadbury Boost. We're coming live from the 42 HQ here in Dublin today and we're delighted to be joined by Eddie O'Sullivan, former Ireland head coach. Ireland are just days away now from their tournament, uh, first home Six Nations match against France. And in this episode we're going to look at some of the structure they have in their attack, we'll look at some of the opportunities in the, in the defensive game and we'll also talk about Bernard Laporte's influence uh, off the pitch. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, research in France. Do, yeah. you, do you go along with that? Um, yes, I, in general I would say yes. I think we look at the, the way they're playing a more structured game. Um, and I think you have someone like Bernard Laporte in the background trying to restructure France, French rugby in general. Uh, so there is some sort of resurgence, but the trick for France is to stay on a consistent path. And I think for me, the interesting thing about this Six Nations is we saw how good they were in Twickenham, even though they lost. It was a very disciplined, a very structured French team. Then they come back to Paris and, and they lose quite a bit of that against Scotland and almost end up losing to Scotland at home. So we can talk about this in terms of the weekend, but which French team shows up again? Is it a team that really played well in Twickenham or the team that kind of faffed about a bit in Paris? And I don't know the answer to that until they arrive. It is a bit of an age-old debate, but I mean, in terms of the last couple of years, this France team is one that underperforms. We can say that much now. For sure. Look at the Six Nations results. Um, you know, not, having not finished above fourth for five seasons is unbelievable. In fact, I think one season finished at the bottom of the pile, no wins. Like, that's incredible. And I think there were alarm bells in France at the time. Uh, the solution is a complicated one. But Laporte has taken it on himself now to fix this. He's become president of the French Federation. He's taken over from Camus and he's got a vision for French rugby. It's not going to be easy to achieve because it involves the clubs releasing some of their power and grip over the players. But if anyone can get this done, it's Laporte. And I think already we've begun to see his influence in that, for example, the French players didn't play with their clubs last weekend. They were back, they were in camp in Nice, I think. And they'll be very fresh for that. This is a whole new thing for them. And, and it seems to have bound them together. They look like a happier bunch of guys now. They're playing more together. And the French kind of national team has begun to take more of a, a centre center approach this time of the year. I mean, it seemed for some years there that the Six Nations was almost... Uh, a, a disturbance for the clubs, guys have to leave to go away and play and come back again. But that's all changed now, and this is Laporte's vision to get that balance between the club game and the international game and get France back to where they can be at international level. I mean, it was a crazy situation that guys were going away mid Six Nations while, while Johnny Sexton and the guys had their feet up. Totally, yeah. It was bizarre. Laporte is a strong character. I mean, he's, he's, he's working a lot of other projects. He wants that 2023 World Cup. France. You saw them wearing the, yep. the logo on their jersey. He's talking about central contracts. He's right. kind of scrapped the national stadium plan. So, a lot of big moves in a short space of time. You obviously have a lot of experience working against him. Yeah. What, what was he like as a character? Well, he he was pretty un-French in that he was a very structured thinker in the game. And um, I mean, I think he's arguably the most successful French coach or the best French coach in, in the modern game. Um, the French team in the noughties when he was involved like were a very difficult team to play. He did three things that was very un-French. One is he always picked his best 15 players, which they didn't before and haven't even since. Uh, they had a pretty structured game plan. They were very clear on what they wanted to do and their discipline was, was excellent. The, you know, the old French flaws, give it away silly penalties was gone. They became very hard to beat. In terms of the noughties, they were our nemesis with Ireland. We beat them once in seven, six nations. Um, we ran them close a few times, but they were very hard to beat. And I think when Laporte walked away and went to Toulon, the French team struggled afterwards, and you've seen the, the, the consequences of that. But he's back again now. 
not in a coaching role, but as a president. And in France, the president is the boss. What he says goes, and he will drive this until he gets French rugby at international or back on track. Yeah, I think it would be good for the global game to see them back to, to where they maybe were. Probably not good past. for us, but yeah, for sure. <laughs> but good, good for rugby in general, because the, yeah. the French are, and I, they are a, a big brand in, in international rugby, and it's, they've been performing, underperforming woefully. Uh, in recent years, you know, it's not their MO, but they have a lot of problems. The big problem is the clubs control everything, and I think Laporte's trying to get some of that control back, but it's going to be complicated, and it'll be a process that will probably involve money be transferring from from the, the, the union to clubs to offset what, what they're going to get from the players. Mm. It's going to be a complicated process, but I think if anyone can get this done, Laporte is a guy who can get it done. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to put a little bit of early pressure on Guinevez either. There was a bit of talk about Guinevez possibly being out of a job, but he's reassured him now and says, look, you're there for the time being. Yeah. Are you seeing enough from this French side to suggest that there is going to be a, a short-term gain as well? Oh, yeah, I mean, already you can see there are changes to the way they play the game. Um, but a bit, I suppose like any team trying to embrace a new system, they are struggling to stay with it at times. We saw them in Twickenham, as I said. I think we saw it in Twickenham because it was a fear factor. They knew if they went to Twickenham and they were 15% off, they were going to get butchered. So they played with a sense of purpose, a sense of focus, and it kept them in the game. They, they might have sneaked that game, you know, and they were in position to win it. They go back to Paris then, and for some reason, they're not as focused. Maybe it's been back in front of the home crowd, maybe it's a different atmosphere where you, you play more off the cuff, but they lost that focus that they had and you know could have lost to Scotland and uh, for, so for that reason they're still not the finished product so I think if they come to Dublin and play like they played in Twickenham we could be in for a hell of a battle but if they lose that sense of uh, structure and focus and organisation with the ball I think we could make dividends I still think they're vulnerable without the ball and that's another discussion yeah we'll get to that but in terms of what France are doing in attack now it is interesting that a little bit more structure to the game allows them to play in a more traditional French way I guess because people are in the right position to actually use their individual Correct. skills you have, you have a good decision making ability the structure puts them in parts of the field where they have space and opportunity and they're very good at that their big problem to know was creating those opportunities because in the modern game it's very hard to create those opportunities without a structure it's like a game of chess you've got to play in certain parts of the field to create an opportunity in another part of the field and the French weren't doing that they were trying to create an opportunity every moment they got the ball in front of modern defences, that's very, very difficult to do. You have to be so dominant to do that. But they're beginning to go back to, to thinking, oh, yes, we have to play like other teams, we have to be patient, and we have to set teams up to exploit them. Yeah, well, one of the things we're going to look at is um, the shape they've built into their phase play attack, this 1-3-3-1 system. Um, we've seen Australia be particularly su successful with this, and we've done a bit of analysis on the 42 of this before. But we're just going to run through it again here. France so far haven't done it as well as an Australia has because oh, it's it, work in progress to be yeah, fair. Exactly. It's it's not something they've been completely used to doing. But um we're gonna look at an example here from the Scotland game and it probably points to that slight muddiness still about ex what exactly they're doing each time they get the get get the ball in attack and interface play. Um, in this example in the top left of the screen we can see there's a rook set in the far right five hand five meter channel um, and there's one forward in there for France. So he's our one in the one yep. three three one. Um, on the next uh, next phase in, in the top right of the screen here we can see they get three forwards, a pot of three forwards, one, two and three. They're going to carry the ball, just hit it up again. There is a, a, a back holding at the, the back of that pod, so there is an option to go out the back door there. But I think with the defence in, in that situation in front of them, it's probably a good decision. Um, there's not a whole lot of width on this next pod in the bottom left. Again, it's a three-man pod of forwards. Uh, they're quite close to the ruck, so, so it's not exactly ideal. We're, we're talking about them still getting used to this yeah. system and this, this structure. Uh, and this time they actually go on a, a tunnel ball out, 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 out through 
that three-man forward pod to, to the out half and he finds width to the far left where you have waiting that final fo- forward, the, the one on the far left edge, who's Louis Picamos. Uh, he gets a one-on-one against Hugh Jones, a physically weaker uh, defender, yep. not a bad defender, but anyone trying to tackle Louis Picamos, you're, you're going to be in a pretty bad position. Um, and he gets a good offload. They get way over the gain line um, and it's a brilliant use of, of, a, of a forward like, like Louis Picamos. We, we've set up the scenario here on, yep. on the table just with our forwards to make it really clear. Yep. You're one three three one. What exactly is Guinoves trying to trying to do here? What are the principles of? Well, the principles like are fairly simple, and we we, we refer to this in a, in, a, in, a, in a previous show with New Zealand. And it's about these pods of forwards here who are actually trying to either run over the defence or sit the defence down. These guys are holding in the space when it arrives, and they're usually your flankers, like we said, pickemos, and. These pods are serviced by the rest of the backs. So, like for example, you probably have a winger out here and a winger out here who can help the, the flanker in that space. You've got your two centres who usually play out the back of those pods as options. And then you've got your 10 and your 15 and your 9 who goes to every rock, the 9, and these guys. So these are all playmakers. But it, ideally what you want to do with these pods is, effectively, if there's lots of people in front of this pod, you want to bypass it and you can bypass with a pass behind them or a pass out of it same here if there's lots of people in front of them you want to pass out of it but if there's not many people if the defense is spread out you run over them so these guys are looking for opportunities to either run over the defense or get missed depending on what's in front of them you usually find because the rock is here that there's a lot of defenders here right and these guys will often truck it up just to get a collision so it's not as clear there, but certainly in this pod, they're much more circumspect about what they want to do. And again, if the defense is weak there, they will probably feed that pod and run into it, into that space. But if the defense is filling that space, they'll probably go out the back. And this is the pod they play more with in terms of hitting them up and going out the back. Yeah. This one often hits up because it's in traffic. Coming off the touchline as well. Exactly, coming off the touchline. Line so speech. it's really about that dynamic, about whether you use these pods to carry the ball or you use them to sit down defenders and move the ball away. Because the pass still beats the defence. And that's why when they did that, they got pick and moles into their outside channel, isolated. And that's where guys can make big dividends and maybe an offer or two and you can score a try. So it, it's, a, it's a fairly simple system. There's not much to it. But even for a team like France, that they can slip out of that system sometimes. It takes a while to embed it. And again, as well, the problem for them is when they get this down, defences have to adjust around that. So defences will be trying to shut that as well down. You can be sure Ireland has seen this. Ireland will be working all week against that system. How do we make sure that we number off well, we don't get collected here where they can get away from us, and we certainly don't have that space on the outside that we've yeah. seen for, from Ireland in recent games. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that links in perfectly because they're getting that weight now, France, and it is interesting that when they revert to type, they go back to ba- bashing it up and, and being very narrow, but they often have Gorado on one side and, and Picmo is always holding that and weight. Sometimes you see, if, if these pods, they, they can win this rocks with three players, and they can, like, they can actually release more players out the back here, and you can often get four or five players around that corner. Yeah. And they did that to England very well. They did it to Scotland. In Scotland, they dropped the ball a few times. But they actually had a, a lot of players around the corner there. Like they had, you know, the forward and the outside channel. They had the 10, they might have the 15, the wing. So suddenly, there's four or five guys in that space running full tilt. And worst case scenario, they're 15, 20 metres off the game line. And it was very hard for you to reset back in as a defence. So they are, they are looking to go wide at every opportunity. 
Um, and that is a worry for us. If they do that very well on the weekend and we are narrow as we have been at times, there could be a lot of dividends in it for them. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned those kind of, there's just two men hitting those rook. There may be our slight opportunities there for, for big, turnovers. big strong back row to counter yeah, Absolutely, yeah. But they, they, that's why they tend to take it in there if the defence is light. You're not going into a major collision. You don't need the extra curse to there's clean no out. Jackal, yeah. There's no like, but they can get that wrong sometimes, like we all, like every team does. But by now, they're, they're probably trying not to burn an extra player in here if they can avoid it, or if he comes, maybe he comes from a double rock scenario on the touchline. But the more players they can get around the corner there, the bigger the problems are yeah. for the defence. Because we often talk, like you know, this France game is often about these big, massive, physical ball carriers. But I guess for you, the concern is actually if France keep that width and, and Ireland adapting. If they strike a balance between those pods hitting up and them going around the back or tunnel balls out, the, out through them, that's very hard to defend if they get that balance right. Because you're, you're, you're stuck between two. If you, commit, you have to commit to stop the collision. But if you're committing to stop the collision, you're leaving yourself exposed on the corners. Now, the way to do that is to get your spacing right from mm. the start, which we've struggled with, and then the people who are confronted with that pod making a smart read. You hear about talking about make a read on the defence, and this is where Brian O'Driscoll was the best in the world. He made that read very early. He saw the trigger, whether they were going to hit it up or go out the back. And because he made the read early, he could sit down for the tackle if necessary, or he could, he could push out. And that's where the smart defender comes in. See, defence is not about tackling. Defence is about making reads and then tackling the ball carrier. And that, for that reason, it's going to take a lot of smart reads if France stick in this yeah. shape and play well out of it. We don't know if they're going to do that. And it certainly isn't a, a completely finished product. They're not doing as well as they No, Australia because it's understandable. It's, it's, it's fairly new and it's probably different than they're doing their clubs. There's all that in the, in, in the mix. Mm. But when they get it right, they're, they're a handful. Really dangerous. You mentioned those reads. I think Gary Ringrose has made a couple of nice reads over the last couple of games, but I guess he's the, the key man in terms of getting that width. He's the guy who has to drag that spacing at everyone else? Well, the, the key guy in getting out, the, out is the guy on the outside of that, the guy on the outside of that uh, pod, the guy who has to, if they truck it, make the tackle, but if they, if they go out the back to push, he's to make that read. If he gets stuck in here and the ball goes out the back, then it's open country. But if he can hang off and make a good read, he can push out and that closes off the corner. You lose some yardage, but it's not a jailbreak. Yeah. So the guy on the outside of that the defender on the outside of that attacking pod has to be able to read early. They're going to hit the pod and I can go up and help the tackle or they're going out the back and I have to push. And if I push, I can bring somebody with me and the defence kind of shuffles off that pod because it's not in play. If you shuffle off the pod and it's in play, you're, you're going to get killed. But that's where the, the, the smart player makes the early read. on, on the, And it's sometimes as small as the angle of the pass gives it away. When the ball is about to leave the playmaker's hands, you can tell what it's going behind the runners or, or in front of them. If it's in front of them, they're going to truck it up. So you, you're more committed to it. If it goes out the back, you've got to push. Yeah. Very, very small stuff, very detailed, but crucial at the end of the day yeah. against good teams. And points to how important that individual ability is within, within a system. Correct. Big, big day for Andy Farrell's defensive uh, system, I think. In terms of what you're seeing from the French defence, what, what are the kind of characteristics and traits you're seeing there? Still a problem for them. Like, of course, they're, they're hard to run over, they're big, strong athletes. Um, so pound for pound, it's going to be very hard to win collisions against them. Um, their downside though is, I think, the pace of the game at international level and outside of France gets them. If you see it in Europe as well, when teams speed up the game, like the best example this year was, for me, was Toulouse came to the sports ground. Uh, they brought the biggest possible team they could put suit up, you know. 
yeah. and Connacht just ran him off the park, just ran him. And as the game went on, you could see Toulouse were running out of puff, you know, and they couldn't get around the corners. And Connacht tore him to shreds, basically, by running him off the field. And that's the classic example. Now, it's not as simple against a French team who are fitter and bigger and stronger, but the principle is the same. You know, if you keep the ball and you move them around, they're prone to a number of things. They're prone to going off script in the defensive system. Guys going on their own, making individual reads. They're prone to not getting around the corner. Guys get tired. And the cracks appear after a while. How you do that is by not taking them on physically, I think. I think it's keeping them on the move, not going toe to toe. Occasionally you can take a ball up and take them on, but it can't be relentless one runner, one runner, one runner, one runner, one pass, you know, one pass contacts that we had in, in, in Murrayfield. Yeah. You know, and the first half Scotland shut us down. To be fair, they couldn't in the second. We were we outmuscled them, but you won't outmuscle a French team that easy. You yeah. know, there are little elements of Ireland structure that allow them to, to have a bit more variety. But again, we haven't seen it against not yet. A, a supposedly top tier nation. It's been against. I, Canada, I think to be fair, Italy, I think to be fair in the autumn they did move the ball a bit against New Zealand. We we didn't go to war with New Zealand as we had we say against Italy or we went against uh, against Scotland in particular. I think we got more latitude against Italy because we won more collisions and there was more time on the ball and you had more freedom to make passes and offloads. So I, we can do it. I and mean, if you go back two years to Murrayfield when we that final game of the season when we needed points from the, from the off we went wide against them. We played a very open game. Um, so we can. It's in our locker. So I think for the weekend is that you're right, that balance between when to go after them physically and when to move away from them. And I think erring on the side of moving away from them and keeping them on the move and running, running the legs off them, you know? Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Ireland do to look, look to exploit those wide channels. We're going to take an example here of something that you've mentioned, get up, get up to high phases and then the mistake will come from sure. the French defence. The example here is on, on 15th phase, Scotland score a try through, through Stuart Hogg. Um, and in the top left of the screen, we can see that Hugh Jones is, is carrying the ball here. He's uh, going into contact with Camille Lopez, who, who's clearly there in a good position to make a tackle. Um, Virmi Vakatawa is uh, the left wing, and. He's here at number 11. He's, he's clearly attracted by that tackle. Even though it's going to be made by Lopez, he's, he's chopping in low. Um, Vakatawa commits in onto the tackle, even though we can see there are two further attackers out the Scottish line here and here. So he's just leaving two men completely yes. open. Uh, even if there's going to be an offload, there's nowhere else for Hugh Jones to go. So he's almost better off marking up on, the, on those men further out the line. Uh, and what you get is he completely misses the ball. Uh, and he does nothing. Jones, uh, yeah, exactly. Basically, does nothing. He's got two options. He's got two options. He takes the third one. Yeah. So, like, he, 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 if you come up and in, you have to stop the football. Yeah. He come up and in. He didn't stop the football. If you play out, then you take the next man up and try and tackle him. But he didn't either. He stood in between in the passing lane and didn't stop the pass. That's the worst possible play you can make in that situation. It's the worst because it, it means it does nothing. It takes us out of the game. And this is the key. Uh, for Ireland on the weekend is these guys in the outside channels, both their wingers are fantastic with the ball but they're catastrophic without the ball. They're poor defenders. They will tackle. Tackle isn't the issue but their, their understanding and reading in the defence, we talk about reading, their reads are appalling. They don't make any reads at all. They just do what comes into their head at the last moment. And the other part of their game, which is important, is they're very poor under the high ball. They're not able to cope with balls in behind them or balls in the air. They don't contest well. They're not sure when to go after it. So I think if we get into those outside channels, we can expect to draw those guys out of the line and exploit them. Yeah. Or if we put the ball in the air, we can ex expect to get some dividends out of that as well. Yeah. There's another example of Vaktau here, just to run through quickly. 
it's the it's the, another Scotland try. So he's he's directly involved in in, in, two, in concession of two tries. This time um, it's Lamra who's going in for the tackle on Finn Russell. Uh, he, he completes the tackle low. Again, you can see on the top right there that Bakhtao is attracted to the tackle. He just can't get enough yeah. of getting involved or trying to get involved in, in contact. But again, Finn Russell gets that ball away to, to Tommy Seymour and he's completely free to charge down the right-hand touchline. He yeah. chips ahead, ball bounces well, a little shove on Scott, Be Scott Spedding and Tim Swinson. It's just bad defence that creates major line breaks for the opposition. When you're putting together your attacking plan, are you... Are you building that into the to the system? Say, okay, we're going to go after Vakatau after a certain amount of phases, or, or how does that work? Well, you'd be trying to get into that outside channel with like where you've got three against two, and you, you're you're then waiting for him to make the bad read on the two outside men, and you play out of that then. So that that opportunity should arise if you can create that three and two on that channel, like like Scotland did. And the other thing then is obviously is the kicking game in behind him, making him go back to the ball make him compete for a ball in the air that he's not comfortable with. So they're the two key areas. You can't spend the whole day trying to create those three and twos, but they will arise, yeah. and you've got to take advantage of them. But they will come off. If you play a good shape, you will get down, down those short sides or wide where these guys are faced with a decision, and you know the odds are they'll make the wrong one, and you prepare for that. Um, you do that in every game, but you know it could be high dividend against these guys because they're not comfortable in defence. They're just not good yeah. defenders. I mean, Vakatao is on a, he's on a national contract. He's not... Training he's a sevens player, time, so really, who's playing sevens and international fifteens, which is pretty much unheard of. Devastating going forward. We should mention that, of course. That's why they're there. Exactly. Look, the French put huge stock in players who can finish, and players who can beat players and 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 uh, create line breaks. They they buy into that, and they often forget the other side of it, which is what we just talked about. That they can't defend, or they're very poor defenders, make bad decisions. And at an international level, that's that that's a very risky strategy because. You know, there's dividends on one end, but there's huge pain on the other end as well, as we saw against uh, yeah. five minutes against Scotland. A final example, maybe it's Nakatati this time on, on the right wing. He's in the backfield, straight off a scrum, and New Zealand goes straight for him. Yeah. This is in November test, and they went for him all day. Kicked in behind him, made him turn, made him come into the line. Uh, in this example, he actually does. He comes up, but he comes up extremely late. He, he, he's so indecisive. Well, he doesn't he just want. Just doesn't it. want to be there. He, he doesn't, doesn't want, want the ball. Yeah. Uh, and Julian Savea wins the ball over him here. Uh, they go down the left uh, touchline, simple inside pass. It's, it's the most basic try you'll see, but it's a simple one-on-one -on -one basically in the air against yeah. uh, Nakatathi. And you, you, can, you can bet your bottom dollar that like, there'll be a lot of that on Saturday to these guys. They're gonna be, yeah. It's going to be raining rugby balls in, 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 in <laughs> Viva Stadium on Saturday. And it's probably something Ireland haven't exploited enough, really. We, we, we always know well, they've like, had this great I think, game, Yeah, I think, to be fair, you know, there's no point in kicking. Like, we had a very strong kicking game for a couple of years there, but teams adapted to it. And they put in guys in their back three who were comfortable under a high ball. So you've got to weigh the dividend. You know, you can put up really good contestables, but the guy contesting is comfortable under it as well. Maybe the dividend isn't as high, but with these guys, you know that if you kick five or six to them, they could drop four. Or, you know, yeah. that's a pretty high dividend. Yeah. So, and certainly early in the game, you know, you always test guys, and if they're up to it, you back off them. But if they're not, you keep going to that that pressure point every chance you get. But I've no doubt about it that this will be a big part of our game on the weekend. We'll be testing their back three under the high ball, particularly the two uh, wins. Yeah. Novez will probably back them to get a hat-trick each and, and make up for any... I think that might be his trade-off, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe Schmidt has talked a bit about Ireland being under the hammer now. Uh, essentially knockout rugby. You know, you got a quarter-final this weekend, yep. semi-final and hopefully a final yep. against England. Where, where do Ireland's chances stand? Are they still a realistic title shot for you? Uh, they are, of course, but... We didn't see our route to the title this way, you know. I always felt that we would beat Scotland, we would beat Italy, 
and I still back us to beat France in, in Dublin. I thought, and I still think, that pivotal game uh, is in Cardiff. Uh, we said that from the off. Um, we just didn't think that Cardiff was going to be the game we'd have to win to stay in the championship. We thought that Cardiff would be the game we'd have to win to have a crack at a Grand Slam the following week. But that's gone out the window now. So I think still, we don't know where we are, I think. The Scotland game was a game we, we, we basically beat ourselves, let's be honest. We beat ourselves in the first half because we got shut down and we defended badly. Uh, we still got out of jail and they must get credit for that coming back to take a one-point lead. Uh, you know, basically with 20 minutes on the clock, you've got to think we're going to kick on here and put them to the sword, but we just faffed about, made some more uncharacteristic errors and gave Scotland the lifeline that took it. Now that will gall everybody. It's one thing getting beaten in a test game where you play well, they play well, you get beaten. But when you go out and beat yourself, there's nothing more annoying, and Ireland did that. And I think Scotland got too much credit. They, they did a lot of things well, but if you look at that game, we beat them in every part of that game except the scoreboard. So you've got to say, we left that game behind. And that will rankle, and now that does put us under the hammer. Judgment's right, there's no wriggle room, there's no room for error. Italy told us nothing. I mean, it was a complete waste of time in terms of our development. Okay, you go there, you play, you get your five points. But Italy were so bad that there was no dividend out of that, other than get the, 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 you know, the train back on the tracks after Edinburgh. But this one now is one we have to win against a French team. We're not sure which one will show up. Um, I think we'll get it done. I think we know their weaknesses. We know where they'll, what they'll try and do. I think we'll beat them. It'll be a tight enough game, probably. But I would say still goes to Cardiff. Still goes to Cardiff to keep the championship alive. Yeah, and that I'm not sure of. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We're going to take a couple of questions from uh, Facebook. Aaron has sent this one in. Who should start at out half? A lot of talk about this. Johnny Sexton, we, we just don't really know. We're hearing that he, he has been training other things. He, he's still struggling, but who, who should start if they're both fit? I would say Sexton should start if they're both fit and well. Um, I think that's what he will do as well. There's no doubt about it. I think it's very tough on Jackson, though, that... He knows no matter how well he plays, he's going to get the shepherd's crook as soon as Johnny's fit, you know. And that's tough on him. It's a tough place to be. Like, he's not really competing on a level playing field because he knows he's the number two regardless. But I think with so much, so many chips on the table now, if Johnny's fit, he'll go in. And he's shown before, to be fair to the coach, he's shown that he, he, he doesn't need a big lead time in. He can jump in there and do a good job. But we don't know if he's fit, so it's 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 a pretty it's a moot discussion for the moment because we've been told nearly a month ago that he was fit, and now we're still in the dark three days out of a test game, you know. So yeah. like we don't know. Yeah. We shouldn't forget he's a he's a world class out half. I think people because he plays so little now, people almost forget. He's played very little rugby for Ireland. important defender yeah. runs everything. No, there's no doubt part. about his class and his caliber and his abilities. Like and he's you know he's experienced. Look. You can't take it away from him. That's why it's frustrating he's been injured so much. Probably not, he's the most frustrated of it. But it's been difficult for Jackson and it's been difficult for Ireland. It's been difficult for supporters not knowing where we stand. Um, but I think, yeah, if he's fit, he'll play. Okay. Well, thanks, Aaron, for that question. We have another one from Donald Peoples here. He says, can we put four tries on the French? He's aiming big. No, I don't think it's aiming big. It depends on the dynamics of the game. Let's say we got a couple of tries in the first half. Not not unduly po possible, like we could, it could happen. Then you start to think about that. Like, I mean, first you've got to win the game, but if we're on top of them and they're, pa they're panicking a wee bit, the opportunities could arise through that. But I think you can't win even thinking about it. So you've got to win and say, we've got to win this game. And like all the, the bonus point stuff, if you've three tries and there's five minutes on the clock, 
you say, yeah, let's go for it, and the game is wrapped up. What if we give up one fight chasing it? But I think it's it's kind of a, a fool's paradise to be worrying about that. I think it's something that comes into your psyche maybe with 10 minutes to go. Yeah, a little bit off topic, but I know you're a fan of Ian Madigan. We've had the news this week that he's looking to get out of the last year of his Bordeaux contract. What are Irish players going to maybe learn from from him now saying he wants to get out of France. Yeah, I'm sad for him really because I, I think he's a fantastic player and I, I, I just like I think he's world class and he's had a tough role because the fact that he you know came through Leinster and he's been going up against Johnny Sexton all the way through. Um, I think he had to move out of Leinster. Um, I think the problem for a move to France and I think we've seen this even with Jonathan Sexton is that it's not just as simple as getting on a plane and just going to France and kicking on. It's a different environment. Had he gone to a club maybe with a with a non-French coach, which would be probably more structured, like we might find in England or Ireland or New Zealand or Australia, but he went to a club with French coaches, a very French traditional approach, and it's a, a big adjustment. Um, their approach to the game is very different, and particularly when you're a 10. If you go in as a winger, you can adjust, or a back row, but a 10 has to take an awful responsibility on, and it's not the same environment as you're used to in Leinster with a more structured game plan, you know, even the way they train, even the way they prepare, even the way they do video analysis, it's all very different. Uh, so it's just not as simple as, say, changing clubs, particularly if you're a 10. And I, I think he's probably found that adjustment probably too difficult, you know, and not enjoying his rugby. So it's understandable, but it's a pity. Um, I, you know, I, you, you want this guy to come through again for Ireland, because I think he's, he's, he's a class act. Uh, and it's, it's a pity you now that this hasn't worked out for him, but it's not the end of the world. I think if he gets back to even to England, into a different environment, he could thrive there, for sure. Yeah, best of luck to him. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week to look back on the France game. Catch you then. <laughs>